Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Non-Game Podcast. I'm Tom Hatfield and with me has got, as usual, Jordan Erica Weber. Hello. And today we're joined by uh, PC Gamers, uh, Andy Kelly. Hello. Why don't I get to PC Gamers, Jordan Erica Weber? I've written for them before. <laughs> it's true, but uh, Andy has a full-time job, so... <laughs> You're only part-owned by PC Gamers. Nobody, <laughs> nobody... you Jordan from The Guardian anyway. That's that's true. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I am legally, but uh, it's been knows to places. Mm. Cool. Um, since we're going to probably be talking about American Truck Simulation a bit, I thought I would ask everyone where, uh, what country or just place, I guess, uh, would you most like to drive across? In a truck. In anything, really, I guess. I'm not going to specify a truck because I don't know how to drive a truck, so I'll probably pick somewhere really easy. <laughs> the problem with this is I don't know how to drive at all. Uh, Maybe well, like a go-kart. Let's let's make it a bit more video game oriented. <laughs> Which video game place would you most like to drive across? Oh, that's easy. I'd like to drive mm-hmm. the Mako uh, across Mars. <laughs> <laughs> um, oof. That's harder than the original question, because <laughs> there's more of them than countries on the planet Probably, yeah. we inhabit. Um, I'd like to drive across um, Red Dead Redemption's sort of Wild West mm. on a horse, though, not on a vehicle. Uh, I mean, that's a good kind of combo, because it's the same kind of area you presumably drive across in, uh, in it is, yeah. American Simulator. Because, um, yeah, in real life, I have always wanted to drive across the US, like the Route 66 route. Um, I, so I would probably, che- and I, I always picture it as like driving across Nevada or some other weird dusty desert. So I'd probably pick something like that, like... Like um, desert bus. Sorry? Like desert bus. <laughs> Not quite like that, no. Okay. Uh, always tilting to the right. <laughs> so I'd probably pick something like um, maybe, uh, maybe the Capital Wasteland. I think it's the most geographically interesting fallout. But um, all the roads are fucked. That's true. <laughs> you just have to go, yeah, you just have to just go just go fast enough. I'm pretty sure you can ramp off those broken freeways. That does sound like fun, actually. <laughs> cool. Would you take someone with you, like in the passenger seat? Oh, man, that would have been a way better question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't host every podcast, Tom. Sometimes you have to take a turn. A Brahmin. <laughs> I mean, useful if you get mm. hungry. Yeah. Uh, um, and you've got a drink there too. You could have some milk. I would kind of love that as a like a road tri- as a sort of, just like a road trip game where you it's, it's a weird combination of American Truck Simulator and also like a Mass Effect thing where you've got a character in the in the other seat who you've got to talk to. Yeah, I've, I've genuinely thought of a kind of inspired by Mad Max Fury Road, a combination of truck simulator and post-apocalyptic game. I think there's a genuinely great game there of sort of driving a, you know, your, your whole life is this truck and having to drive it across a kind of dangerous wasteland full of raiders and stuff. That would be an amazing game that I would make if I had any talent or money. <laughs> there was one I saw at the last res, uh, which isn't quite that, but it's kind of close, called Convoy. Um, which is, I think, I, uh, I, um, I'm trying to remember it because I don't think I, um, because I didn't play much of it, but it's kind of like a bit of a strategy game where you've got a, a convoy going across a post, a post-apocalyptic waste. I'm pretty sure that's the word I've messed up most on this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, 
so and it's like a lot of it is I think rearranging them and sort of um, you know keeping your oil truck in the middle covered by other cars possibly having people jump between cars so I might have imagined that bit but it reminded me of like the Fury Road bit before it all sort of breaks down when they're just like this huge convoy all supporting yeah. each other yeah because so I haven't no seen physical driving unfortunately I haven't seen Fury Road yet but from what I've seen, promotional images and stuff, it just seems to be like a road trip, like a post-apocalyptic road trip. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. one of those really focused action movies, like, where like, uh, I compared it a lot to Dread, if you saw that, which is... <laughs> nope. Which is entirely just, just like Die Hard, basically. Just one person fights their way up a giant tower, and um, Mad Max is basically like, it's a car chase for 90 minutes, but a really good one. <laughs> Yeah, the the whole story is the story is very thin, but it works. And they drive uh, in the straight line to a location, then drive back. That's the, <laughs> that's literally the story. So, um, how so similar nice. is that to yeah. American Truck Simulator? Well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's what American Truck Simulator is. You drive to one place, then you drive back again. So the Mad Max Fury Road of video games. Yeah, minus all the sort of uh, raiders and explosions and all that stuff. Um, so I was going to ask you actually because uh, I've played a little bit of Euro Truck Simulator and it felt like it was a game that kind of accidentally found its audience. Like it was clearly meant to be like this simulator of using a trucking of running a trucking company, but actually people just like driving around. I don't know if I was going to ask you if um, if you felt that you know which side of that uh, American Truck Simulator kind of landed on. Um, well, I think. Yeah, most people I know who play it, and, and the way I play it is I just ignore all the management stuff, because um, it is there if you want to do it, and it, it gets quite involved. I mean, you can buy trucks and hire drivers and sort of run a business, but I never touch that stuff. I just do the thing where you can just pick a job and just enjoy drive. And I think I'd say most people I've spoken to who play it play it like that. I don't think the management thing is as appealing to people as the, just the pure uh, exhilaration of driving in a straight line for a long time. <laughs> Can you yeah. think of another game that's like other games that are like that, where people just don't play it the way it was supposed to be played? Um, I'm just trying to think. I, well, the reason I was asking the question is because I have definitely seen things where I feel like the developers are entirely sh- don't entirely get what people like about their game, um, and I thought that might be an interesting dilemma that the truck simulator guys are eventually going to run into. I think they just uh, give both options. I mean, the, the part of the uh, the other appeal of the game is that you can. There are several ways to play it. I think they just the way they do it is they go, "Here are some ways to play this game. Do what makes you happy." So yeah. it's, it's something I've seen with like um, with Crusader Kings, for example, um, which has a lot more like hardcore strategy game stuff in there, but mostly people are interested in um, using it in, as a weird medieval eugenics program. Um, or stuff like that Uh, but yeah so there's this weird kind of and you know those are the ones that I think have been more successful where the developers have aimed for one thing but have gotten a slightly different thing but it still really worked whereas there's other games like uh, say some of the less good Hitman games for example have felt like they don't get that people just want to walk around in a sandbox and murder people and put a story in there instead yeah do you think basically developers shouldn't try to determine exactly what players are supposed to do in their games as a rule? I don't think that would work for all games, but certainly games like simulators and sandbox games, definitely. I think they should just give you the tools and let you 
you know, use them how you want. I guess it's kind of a reactive thing because they had no way of knowing that was how people were going to treat Eurotrip once it took off. But um, so it was just kind of left them as a bit of a dilemma: is do we, you know, do we chase this new audience or do we keep making more or less the same game and hope it keeps working? Do you think they did um, adapt? For American Truck Simulator, given the response to the Euro Truck Simulator, Andy, uh, it's exactly the same game. Oh, okay. it's, yeah. When you when you really break it down, they've just taken the structure and the systems from Euro Truck Simulator Two and plonked them in America. Um, even like the interface is the same. That was my only sort of criticism when I reviewed it for PC Gamer. I, I enjoyed it, but if you played uh, sixty hours of Euro Truck Simulator Two or more, um, then you're gonna feel familiarity. Which landscape do you prefer? Because I always thought, I was, I'm quite excited by the American one because it feels like a more striking landscape to me and maybe that's just because America is a place that exists in films to me. But yeah, <laughs> That's that's why I, I, I don't like the American setting as much as the European one because it's striking. I think part of the, the bizarre appeal of your truck simulator 2 is the kind of subdued overcast realism of it like you, you've seen a motorway in Britain or in France or whatever and it, it just a sort of, there's a sort of uh, low-key understatedness to it whereas American Truck Simulator their version of America is very much you know the the, the desert highways you see in films because I interviewed the creators of American Truck Simulator and Euro Truck Simulator, and they said that they didn't actually go to America. <laughs> they, they built it all based on Google Maps and stuff. So you, you can really Yay. tell that. They're based in... Uh, I can't remember where they're based now. Maybe it's... Do you know where they're based? SCS Software? They're in Europe somewhere, and obviously... No idea. We could definitely yeah. Google it. <laughs> but yeah, they so they obviously know that uh, the mood and feel of a European motorway uh, more intimately. And I think it just feels... I don't know, there's something about an overcast, rainy motorway <laughs> outside of Stuttgart that just is, appeals to me more than, you know, a big long road in, in Nevada. I can't quite, I'm not sure, quite sure why. Maybe because you don't see it in games as often. I mean, des- the desert parts of North America are in a lot of video games, whereas, you know, motorways in, outside of Bremen aren't. So. <laughs> what true. other kinds of video games would you like to see set in the kinds of environments you explore in Euro Truck Simulator? Well, I think I think uh, overcast, rainy Eastern European or you know mid European settings are, are ripe for all kinds of brilliant games, walking simulators, post-apocalyptic games. I just don't think enough games are set in dreary parts of Europe. Mm. And like, you look at something like um, Daisy, which is set in a really dreary slice of sort of post-Soviet Europe somewhere. It, you know, or it's got stalker. A, yeah, or stalker. It's got a really distinct quite a alluring feel and it's not, not seen in as, as many games so that appeals to me I think I, I, that actually has made me think I really would like to see um, you know those uh, a, a walking simulator in those kind of weird broken down post-Soviet locations but without yeah. the inevitable slightly post-apocalyptic spin on it yeah some sort of or supernatural some sort of yeah Chernobyl related supernatural nonsense. Yeah, just just like a yeah, like a, a really uh interesting drama game set and, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cool. Have you um I know you enjoyed um Euro Truck Simulator in VR. Did you get a chance to try that with uh, American Truck Simulator? Yeah, I did uh, 
I made sure I gave it a go when I was reviewing it. I didn't actually mention it in the end because no one's got headsets. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it is one of the most convincing VR games, I think, because any game where you're sat down and inside a sort of enclosed 3D space instantly just works because you get a sense of what they call presence in VR circles. You can sort of sense that you're sitting in somewhere. And yeah, it works really well. And it feels really natural to be at a crossing or whatever and, and to just look down the road to see if there's any cars coming <laughs> with your head it just feels completely natural and you can lean out the window and look behind you and stuff so yeah like it is actually more than just a gimmick it's actually a genuinely easier way to play it because you can just instinctively look for traffic instead of having to click the stick and move the analog stick or move the mouse or whatever do you think that kind of thing is the future of vr what trucks would be like us yeah <laughs> a sort of mundane simulator game so yeah i, I think so and any Anything that involves sitting in a cockpit or a cabin or a vehicle, I think, is where VR shines. Anything where you're walking around, because inevitably there's going to be a disconnect between you moving with a keyboard and, you know. Unless you're one of those people who can afford, like, a full Vive setup with a dedicated <laughs> yeah. VR room. Yeah, and a, a treadmill so you can walk the <laughs> spot. Yeah. See, I, I was going to say, I, I mentioned this um Oh, actually, no, I, I don't think I have mentioned this on this podcast before, but um, I got to play with the Vive at um, the last game, City, and that was a really weird experience because um, because it was you know, at a show. They had the big room with like the Mac, I think the uh, the VR lamppost things as far apart as they could be, so there was plenty of space to walk around. Oh, oh the lighthouses. Yeah, that's what they call them. I knew it was something weird like that. <laughs> um, the fact that there's, a, there's always a lighthouse, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bit was this Unseen Diplomacy, Katie yes, Good's game? Yeah, All right. Did you play that as well? I didn't, but I watched Keith play it, <laughs> and I have a video of him crawling around on the floor yeah. for future blackmail purposes. <laughs> That's the most interesting thing about that. One of the most interesting things about that game, anyway, is that um, like you're in this fairly, still fairly small area, like ten by ten, and um, I felt like I was walking in a much bigger space than I was. In reality, I was taking like three steps and then turning left. But I couldn't, with the headset on, I couldn't understand that I was just walking around in a circle all the time. As far as I could tell, I was walking for a seemingly infinite uh, amount of space, which is I've got a theory. design challenge, nothing else. I think it's because you're so tall, <laughs> and your VR character was probably a lot smaller than you are in real life. Oh yeah, that, that is a bit weird. <laughs> probably the world seemed much bigger than the world normally <laughs> seems to you. It's true. Uh, no, you're right though, the height thing was a bit weird to me. Um, just you can set it. your height with the Oculus Rift and the um, uh, this sort of core settings, you can set your height so that your your character will reflect that in whatever game you're playing. Oh, you've done a lot of VR stuff, haven't you? Yeah. What's um what's like the the one necessary thing that you've learned like is important for VR games? So like being able to set your height and stuff like that. Yeah, that stuff has, hasn't really... Uh, affected me as much i think the main the main thing is um yeah like i said earlier games where you're sitting in place i think anything where you're walking just doesn't work very well at all um or stuff where you're just passively viewing stuff like there's demos where you're just um sitting being you know moved through an experience those things are more interesting and, and more convincing than traditional games i don't think it's that good at all as a traditional games platform like if you try and sit and play like an rpg like an elder scrolls or something in vr it'll just be unpleasant uncomfortable experience but for short bursts of sort of just little you know moments i think that's 
where the real power of it lies. I have, yeah, I have heard some of the stuff from other people. So I think um, that's why um, E Valkyrie was um, a really big hit when people first got to play it because space sims are just such a good, good fit yeah. for that game. Yeah, because again, you're sitting in place, but um, also it's a slightly more traditional genre than trucking simulator, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you think that that's going to be a problem then when they're trying to get it to appeal to gamers? You know, the kind of people who want to play Skyrim or they want to play Call of Duty in VR. Do you think it's going to be an issue that actually those aren't the best kinds of experiences? I think that's something I found out over a long period of time. That I mean, when I, we first got the Oculus Rift and when I joined PC Gamer, it was just sat under uh, a jumper on a chair somewhere. No one cared about <laughs> it. And so I like I dusted it off and I've since become the kind of the go-to VR guy. And at first I was sitting playing Half-Life 2 and, you know, playing traditional games with it and convincing myself that I was enjoying it. But as as after many sort of hours logged in VR, like a, I sound like a pilot or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like um, I've, I've come to the realization that, yeah, it's 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 just not that pleasant and to sit and play a, a traditional game and mainly because just comfort having a, a box strapped to your face um no matter how light it is it still just doesn't feel great after like you know a long period of time i tried to do an endurance euro truck simulator thing for the magazine where i was going to real-time drive across the whole europe with the headset on and i lasted like 40 minutes before i just felt like i was going to puke and i had to take the thing off and yeah i just gave up on that whole idea because it's like it just doesn't feel designed for long-term play have you seen that Torsten, Torsten Wiedemann, who did, um, he runs the Amaze Festival, he spent 48 hours in VR. Oh, blimey. I can't yeah, imagine I think what in it'd a be vibe. like coming out again afterwards. You just, it'd take you another day just to readjust to real life. <laughs> yeah. I think he was delirious. I'm pretty sure he had a panic attack. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, games, form, well, former games writer, maybe Steve Hoggerty, um, he, he, I don't know if he actually did it or it was all a, a joke, but he, in one of his videos he did about VR, he um, went to City 17 and Half-Life 2 and he popped a headset on and he went to bed. And the idea was that he'd go to sleep and he'd wake up and if the first thing he saw when he woke up was City 17, that he'd feel like he was really there. Oh, that's <laughs> and like... He, um. And he recorded like himself when... doing it on, on YouTube, but I, I think he might have just done it as a joke. <laughs> I, I usually, like the idea I usually assume that. it's a joke with Steve. Yeah. That's like when Darren Brown hypnotized people when they were playing arcade games oh, and then woke that, them up yeah. in a in a simulated kind of game world yeah. and they freaked the hell out because you yeah. would. Yeah, it's worth it's an experiment I'd like to try, but um, I don't have a cable long enough to reach from my PC to my bed, so <laughs> something <laughs> That's the only fun. thing holding you back. I, I have yeah. seen I can't remember when it was that video you made of you uh, messing with the other PC gamer guys by throwing them off the fairground ride thing. Oh yeah, 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 that was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, there's a lot of good um, VR things that are just like fairground rides, and they're surprisingly effective because you you do feel your stomach sort of lurch as you uh, you know approach the edge of a roller coaster or whatever. I feel like the VR cinema thing might actually be weirdly popular just for feeling like you're watching it on a big screen. Yeah, it really does work that as well. It's like having a you know 500 inch TV in your in your tiny. I wonder flat. if um. I wonder if like VR roller coasters and VR cinemas will prove so cost effective that they'll replace actual cinemas and actual roller coasters. Yeah, well, I'd rather watch a you know the new Star Wars in a virtual cinema instead of sharing one with real humans. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it was well, sufficiently we to, convincing. When we went to see Star Wars, there were a couple of people five seats down from us just talking throughout the whole thing. 
Exactly, you don't yeah, get no, that I, in VR yeah. cinema. You've, um... Unless you have one where your friends can join you. There, there is one actually you can, um, it works like a 3D chat room, so you can sit with people, other people with headsets on in a cinema and, and watch a film together, but yeah. You could probably just mute them if they were talking. <laughs> it's, um, cool. I've seen a couple of places doing it for like live events and things like that as well, like um, concerts and things things like that, where they'll put a yeah. virtual reality camera on, so you can feel like you're in that in that place. Yeah, there's a lot of quite interesting applications for it, and there's some really good educational stuff. Like someone's doing a um, thing that lets you experience the Apollo 11 mission, so you can do the whole launching. You know, the, all all the stages of the moon landing you can sort of see from the first person, and it uses all real NASA recording, you know, radio transmissions. So it's, oh, cool. there's a lot of that stuff where you can. There's also some really bad attempts at that. There's one I tried the other day where um, you're um, you're in one of the twin towers when the plane hits, and it's 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 rendered in sort of janky Unity Vision. It looks really really low rent, and it's it sort of I don't think it it quite has the uh, weights behind it to replicate such a you know such an event it, it came across pretty crass and terrible gosh that sounds awful yeah david attenborough is doing some stuff isn't he is yeah. it oh really i've heard of that no oh okay maybe i'm imagining that maybe <laughs> i just dreamed it it sounds like it would be cool though i would like mm. david attenborough to do some stuff in vr even if he isn't mm-hmm. yeah one of the yeah one of the weirdest uses i've seen was um uh that they were going to put a, like a VR camera in the front row for some professional wrestling events, which I think is hilarious because you know someone's going to pick up that camera and hit someone with it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Like, yeah, someone takes it up on the top rope and slams up someone's head. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, I was gonna also, also going to ask, uh, what have you been playing lately, Jordan? Oh, um, nothing. Um, <laughs> this is the one question I ask on the podcast, Jordan. I know. I know. Not be <laughs> um, I mean, I'm currently, and I'm sorry to say that I'm literally currently playing Nuclear Throne, like while we're talking. Um, but that's not new, so I don't know if you want me to talk about that. You haven't talked about it much before, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I really like it. Um, I was surprised because it's the kind of game, normally when I look at um, screenshots of a game and there's lots going on on the screen, it puts me off like instantly. Mm. Um, I think that's why I like um, kind of beautiful platformers so much because it's it's very simple and you can tell exactly what you need to do just by looking at the screen. Um, but games that, that, that are as busy as Nuclear Throne normally put me off. Um, but I think... I went to Video Brains and Rami did a talk, which is, I think, just went live on YouTube, actually, about um, designing the game and some of the choices they made. And I found it really interesting. Um, So I uh, bought it and I really, really like it, which is shocking for me because it's really not the kind of game you'd expect me to play. Um, I'm not very good at it. I mean, I've gotten like two thirds of the way to the throne. Um... Yeah, I've, but I've I kind of I did that within the first the, like lab like bit. That's that's as far as I've got. Huh? I've I've only had to make it made it to like the second kind of level, I think. So with, like with all the lab rats level? and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I I mean I did I did reasonably well. Like I played it for you know a day straight, I think, and made it as far as I've actually ever gotten. But since then, I've just not been able to get any further. Um, 
I think it just, I don't know, I kind of, I feel like I get lazy with it. Like I just, it's a game I play when I just have like a few minutes and I just want to play something. It's not the kind of thing I play because I'm determined to beat it. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's got it's got it's got a really good, very short burst feeling. It's like yeah, I think the whole thing is only like an hour or two long, and most of the time you're playing for five or ten minutes. Right before you die. Um, I for those who don't know what it is, it's uh, how do you describe it? Uh, I'm not very good with these with the words. Roguelike twin stick shooter is yeah, roguelike twin stick shooter. <laughs> that's what it is. Just to throw um, the buzzwords out there. <laughs> <laughs> I hate buzzwords. I'm so bad at them. Um. Yeah, you just, I mean, it's its like, again, a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. You're in, like, a mutant Eastland. Um, and you have all these different characters you can play as, and they all have different abilities. So, like, Crystal can shield. And uh, the one that I'm playing as at the moment can uh, explode corpses. Um, so it has low health, but it can, when it's killed something, it can blow the thing up, and that destroys other things around it, which I'm enjoying a lot at the moment. Um, and yeah, you just go through these different uh, procedurally generated levels and there are bosses and at every stage uh, the developers have tried to screw with the player. So like there's one boss that the first time you come across it, it will probably kill you because even if you kill it, it explodes after it dies. And there's no way for you to know that before you beat it unless somebody tells you in a video brains talk or on a podcast. I find it's a game that when I, when I play it, like I'll play it for half an hour, but actually I'll, I'll like shut the game down for every five minutes and then bring it back up again because I'm like, oh, that was ridiculous. I'm not playing this anymore. <laughs> okay, fine, one more time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more patient than you. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I'm the kind of person who can just play something for hours and hours even though I'm really terrible at it and I just keep resetting. Um, it's like a weird kind of mindset I get into. You're right, it just, it's one of those games that it feels unfair a lot of the time, but the mm. loop is so short. Like if I if I was dying to something completely unexpected after an hour, I'd, I'd be annoyed and I would not play that game again. But after three minutes, I don't really care. Yeah. Have you played it, Andy? Yeah, I, I've attempted it a few times, but it's I'm not very... I don't get on with games that require skill, patience, <laughs> or... Um, yeah, any game that's sort of built on having to repeat things and learn it is I don't get on with at all. So, yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever get over the hump with uh, with Nuclear Throne. That's fair. Do you just generally not play roguelikes then? No, I, I I kind of I like a I like a game with a defined end, start, middle, and end kind of thing. Whereas like American Truck Simulator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's literally a start, a middle, and an end. Um, but yeah, th- those types of roguelikes I don't. The random element. I don't fully enjoy games with random elements much. Mm. Um, I find it fills a similar kind of void to Spelunky for me, but not the way other people play Spelunky because I'm well aware that I will probably never get past the third level. Um, and right. Yeah. Although, and although you know, although it's completely randomly generated, I also know that at some point I'm just going to get bored of playing level one all the time. It's it's not quite as infinite uh, as for me as it is for other people, I guess. Yeah, I feel like, you know, sometimes it's good to have a game that you're bad at because then, you know, you can just keep playing the first bit without worrying that you're going to get really far and waste a load of time. It's the kind of thing I play while other games are loading. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember those days. Uh, I, I remember, when I, I remember when I had a DS and I just played it during the loading screens because loading yep. screens on PCs were about three times as long back then. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's what mobile games are for. Mm. 
I don't really play many mobile games these days. No. Probably because I never go anywhere. <laughs> the main mobile game I play is 80 Days, which actually you sit down with for a long time. Uh... Yeah, that came out on PC last year, didn't it? Yes. It yeah. I'm having um, Meg is coming to the Guardian event on Thursday. Ooh. So I'll probably hear a bit which more about that. probably already happened by the time people hear this podcast. Yes. So <laughs> sorry if you couldn't come. <laughs> And uh, sorry if you did come. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it'll be good. It's going to be excellent. All the tickets are sold out. I'm very excited. Um, I've also been uh, very bad at the game recently. Um, I picked up Rainbow Six Siege this weekend um, after basically Jake managed to convince me to pick it up. Um, Everyone's talking about it, or maybe just our friends, everyone on Twitter. Yeah, there's a, there's, I think there's a couple of groups of people who are really into it now, um, and you can see why it's very, um, it's, it's very, uh, it feels very different from a lot of other shooters. Like the basic setup is like Counter Strike. You have one team attacking, one team defending. Um, you know, it's usually a bomb or a hostage to uh, that's the objective, but it plays incredibly differently um, because mostly because it's really embraced the idea of, of destructible scenery. Like, everything blows up in that game. Walls fall down, windows get smashed through, you can even shoot, uh, you can even blow up the floor and shoot people through floorboards. Um, and the result is just like chaotic. Like, it's not like a Counter Strike game where you're fighting over the same choke points that you know are there. Because if you try and do that, what will happen is someone will blow up the wall behind you and then create a completely different entrance. Oh, that's cool. And result, yeah, and like, a lot of games have done the exploded, uh, done the like destructible wall thing as kind of a novelty. Yeah. Um, like the Battlefield games have had it for a while, but they've not. It's often been, a, you know, just a thing that looks cool. But this, I think, really uses it as part of the game. Um, there's some great stuff like um, when I was playing a, a previous one, um, like uh, Tim, who I was playing with, had like because um, I was the person who just picked it up with the crew of veterans, and thus I was basically running the game for them all the time. Um, basically, like shot it and poked a little hole in a wall, and then stuck his gun at it and used it as a little like hidey hole. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> and that's a thing you can legitimately do. Um, and um, it's it's also one of those um, kind of fighters suddenly become really rapidly become vogue to do this kind of MOBA style, like different characters with very different abilities in in uh, shooters, and it's got always different operators each of whom has like a thing that they do often. It's their name. Um, Often it's their what? Their name. <laughs> Often they are named after this. Like there's Smoke who can throw smoke, and Sledge who has a sledgehammer. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, uh, what would what would you be if you were if you were named after what you could do? I guess you'd be a sat nav. <laughs> Andy, you'd be like a handyman. <laughs> <laughs> can you actually name some of the other operators and see if we can guess what they do based on sure. their name? To be fair, it's only a couple of them that are like that. I'm just trying to think of some of the more uh, obvious ones. Um, so, what would I be? <laughs> yeah, those are the obvious ones. Uh, there is one <laughs> called... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one's called. Uh, Mute. Mute. Oh, does he cast silence on... <laughs> Basically, yeah, he, he has like electric jamming equipment. Uh, that's, that's kind of... That's a little this, bit more subtle. Yeah. Those ones are the most obvious. There's a guy called Pulse. He has a heart sensor. Uh, thermite. I'm looking at yes, that list, thermite yeah. is the most obvious one. <laughs> Twitch. He streams name. everything. <laughs> yeah. um, Montagna. 
Yeah. That's quite, what does he do? Oh, he's got a shield, yeah, obviously. Yeah, he's got a giant shield, and it's French for mountain, I think. Doc. Oh, oh yeah, Doc. Yeah, that's, that's an obvious one. <laughs> Glass. Like the dwarf. <laughs> oh, yeah, Glass has got a, a scope. Mm. That's quite, that's quite cool. Scottish. <laughs> no, it's Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, uh, most of their abilities interact with, like, with destructibility in an interesting way. Um, like, uh, for example, Weaver's. Most walls you can just blow through, but um, defenders can reinforce them, which takes a little bit of time, and they've only got a limited amount. Um, which means that so you can never really like hole up an area completely. There'll always be some weird bit you're exposed from, and also thermite can blow through exposed walls. Um, can only do it a couple of times. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, Glaz is the only sniper in the game, um, and somehow manages to be the most tolerable sniper in any first-person shooter ever because. Everything's so indoors and full of uh, because everything's full of these you know real, real labyrinthine warrens and everything like that. He doesn't he doesn't feel as annoying <laughs> as snipers inevitably annoy me in, in first person shooters. Even though he can shoot through walls because most of the time he just can't see you. Um, yeah, there's other really uh, fun abilities like that. Um, uh, what's going to say? One of my favourite bits about it is that uh, when you start off, there's like uh, this 30 second period at the very start of the game uh, when the attack uh, the defenders get a few chances to like put reinforced walls and put down barbed wire and uh, put in put down traps and things like that. Um, all the attackers get these little tiny drones, and they're like little pipes. They look like with little with like the ends of them are like little wheels, um, and they're adorable. They can jump as well, and you just like zip around the level, jumping around, trying to fight, trying to figure out where in the level because it's kind of randomised. The defenders are actually holding up, and who they, um, which classes they've brought with them. Um, can you only do that at the beginning of the level? You can also drop it, and you, you, I think each each person has like one or two drones that they can drop um, during the main part. But so, like, I would like this game if one of the characters was just always a drone, <laughs> and I could be that one. Twitch, I think, okay. has special ability is 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 his drone, but I don't know what it does with it. Uh, I haven't played that one, so I don't know how it works. But yeah, they they are uh, they are weirdly. But for the first thirty seconds, all you can do is the drones, um, and. They're, they are physical objects as well, so it can be shot by the defenders. So you, you find yourself like hiding around corners with them or jumping them into weird spaces. Um, mm. uh, I think um, Tim at one point said that he um, he quite liked trying to jump one into a hostage's lap and seeing if the defenders would try and shoot him. Uh, <laughs> what the hostage? <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the weird things about this game, although, although is that although it's technically hostage rescue, you would think you only win if you get the hostage out. Um, but in reality, to to stop uh, from people from you know the defenders from just like shooting them, if the defend depending on who kills the hostage, you lose. Um, so so can you kill the hostage to win? No, if you if I shoot the hostage, my team loses. But if the right. a- opposing team for some reason shoots them, um, we get away with it. So there's this one game we were playing, which was fantastic, where we had this really fierce firefight. We had like one person left who'd gotten the. Um, Got on the hostage and was running off, and then the hostage died, and we were like, "Oh no, we've messed up!" And then it replayed. It turned out we won, and then we looked at the replay, and the hostage walked into a bear trap set by the defending team. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, technically, that's a victory. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, What's the um? Is there a lot of like stuff to unlock? Yeah, that's the um. That's the downside of it. Really, is is that it's um. It doesn't give you all of these people to play around with. Um, you. Essentially, grind it out for a while. It's uh, it's it's like it's very deliberately set up so that each one takes you more to unlock, uh, uh, takes longer to unlock than the last. 
Um, that, that said, I mean, I played it for like uh, I played it for, for like a fair a fair bit on Saturday, and I unlocked about half a dozen people, um, which means that yeah, I'll usually have one to pick from, and even if you don't have anyone, they're all unique as well, so you can't have two of the same person. Um, which is why it could be quite annoying if you've only unlocked like one guy and then someone else picks him. Um, oh. But yeah, what do you do then? Uh, there is like a default recruit who just has uh, doesn't have any special abilities, but has like extra equipment that you you end <laughs> up playing. They're, they're they're all right to be honest. The, the attacking one is better than the defending one because they basically get like most people will have like grenades or breaching charges and their special ability, and the recruit just gets both grenades and breaching charges. So it's it's less characterful, but you can still be reasonably effective. But yeah, no, I've I've, I've really enjoyed it way more than than I thought I would. I'm I'm not entirely convinced by the unlock thing. I think a lot of I think a lot I agree with a lot of other people around there who just like I probably would have been okay with this five years ago, but I'm just kind of ha- kind of bored of, of of online shooters where you have to unlock everything now. I've played too many battlefields. Sorry? Like, do you think they'll get to a point where they go, well, the audience doesn't want this anymore and they'll move on to something else? Or do you think that's just it forever? I don't know. It depends what they're going for. Because, like, um, I th- there'll definitely be some sort of progression, I think, but what effect it has might change. If you if people are going for, like, the esports market, they're more likely to have, you know, cosmetic stuff or th- stuff like that. Like, uh, Overwatch, I think, is going to unlock the new... Uh, Blizzard Shooter is going to have all the characters unlocked from the start, so people can, you know, uh, so people can be in a level playing field from like a sporting perspective. Um, oh, that's cool. And I'm sure I think that they have some kind of other leveling thing. I'm not sure what effect it has, but I think it's like, uh, but I think it's you know kind of separated from getting all the goodies and you know, um, and, and, and you know the actual properly game affecting parts of it. So I don't know. If it, I think if it does go away, it will be because people are moving to like the Dota model, mm. it's, um, where everyone's on the same level playing field. Um, that said, I mean, I've, I I imagine I will probably unlock uh, unlock everything in a relatively short order. They recently did an update where they added two new characters, which cost a lot in like in-game experience and or a little bit of real money. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, real money. Yeah, um, but that said, I mean, people who've been playing it since the start probably had enough experience stored up to just buy them straight away. So I don't know. It's so it just screwed over novices. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, um, that's fine. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, one of those. One of the interesting things is I, um, like uh, I know a lot of people really hate those kind of like shortcut microtransactions. But to me, it's like if I get shot, if I get killed by someone who's got a better gun than me because they bought it or because they spent loads of time playing a game that I don't have, it's really, I really don't care either way. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, uh, it's. Well, you're still dead, so yeah. it doesn't really matter how they exactly. Yeah, and like I guess. being having a lot of spare time is kind of an economic advantage in its own way. Um, anyway, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I. Uh, I really love the chaotic explosion, explosions and shattered houses, and it just—it's um, possible that eventually it will be solved and it will all fall down into clean sight lines. And at which point I will probably lose interest in it. But at the moment, it's glorious chaos, and I really <laughs> like that about it. Cool. Um, I was going to say we've got a couple of questions we can uh, answer, and then um, 
I think that'll be it for today. As I say, the first one we've got is from Tom Howard, who asks, uh, who is more brilliant, uh, at Ultra Brilliant, which is Andy's Twitter ID, or at Mr. Brilliant, which is Steve Hogarty, who we mentioned earlier? Uh, I have to say Steve on that one. <laughs> he, I think he might have, because uh, a lot of people at reply uh, the wrong person when they're trying to tweet <laughs> either of us, and I think that's how we first started chatting on Twitter, but I think he might have been brilliant before I was. <laughs> so, just by virtue of that, Steve. Mm. Well, I think that makes you the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the sequel be is sequel. better. Mm. Yeah. Maybe Assassin's Creed 2, you know? Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So you're in the oh, dark I'm middle chapter and there's going to be a much lighter, friendlier, brilliant in the future. <laughs> um, um, Paul Dean asks, what is the best number of wheels for a truck to have? 18. 18. 18 wheeler, that's the type of truck, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the thing people type. say, so I assume they actually have 18 <laughs> wheels. I'm sure counted. that's in some song lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never actually counted, so I don't know. Um, can you count the wheels on your truck in uh, American Truck Simulator? You you can have varying amount, amounts of wheels depending on what kind of uh, trailer you're hauling, so yeah. <laughs> But can variety. you get out of your truck and and walk around it and admire it? Like uh, you can't actually. You're you're permanently stuck in the cabin, like you're fused to the seat, like you're a sort of trucking robot <laughs> from the future. Oh god, that's so what it is. It's the this is when they finally introduce self-drive cars. It's the, yeah. the future. It's predicting. You can't you can rest actually. That that's quite a part of the as well as just driving. There is a tactical element of knowing when to rest and when to fuel up and stuff because you've got a time limit. So you think. I could rest now. My tiredness meter is getting pretty high. Or I could just keep on driving and get this load delivered. But then, like, you, you start yawning and your vision will start. You, you'll see yourself blinking. Jesus. This is quite <laughs> really? a good, like, public service announcement, actually. <laughs> don't drive all tired, people. Yeah. Or don't drive drunk as well. I was pointing I was streaming American Truck Simulator and I had a few beers. <laughs> and, uh, I was absolutely, I'd racked up more in fines than I'd earned by doing jobs. Uh, by just repeatedly ramming into things. So, yeah, don't drink and drive, even in a virtual world. <laughs> VR must be pretty heavy when you're drunk as well. Yeah, I, it's not. It just makes it, it amplifies the sickness <laughs> feeling. So, yeah, I do not recommend that. I managed to do, I guess, the reverse of that once and have my virtual driving affect my real life driving. Um, uh, where I like, spent all night playing GTA and then went on a driving lesson. <laughs> <laughs> just gator like, skidding around yeah. corners. And, yeah. I was like, I was just noticeably worse. <laughs> and then, like, I, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but I just did really badly that day. <laughs> and I was like, so, after that, I was like, okay, no, not gonna play that before I drive. I think uh, Euro Truck Simulator and all the other truck simulators actually make you a better driver. I now know more about the sort of rules of the road than I. Uh, previously did so if I ever did take a driving lesson I think it might actually improve my performance can you actually drive then Andy no I can't so, yeah. <laughs> wow that's why I do it vicariously through trucks and that as I I mean to be fair I don't know how to shoot a gun <laughs> yeah but I've done a lot in video games so I guess it's kind of the same thing <laughs> and on that note uh <laughs> um, I think we've uh, that's all the questions we've got so I think that's about it for uh, today um, if you want to send us any questions in the future you can send them to at notagamepodcast on twitter or notagamepodcast at gmail.com 
you can also uh, talk to us individually. I'm uh, at Word Mercenary. I'm at Jawsew, J-A-W-S-E-W. Andy oh, is brilliant. I, yes, <laughs> ultra, ultra brilliant, not Mr. Brilliant. Don't give a Can't stress that enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, uh, I've, this is usually where Jordan tells us to go and see a thing she's doing, but we're too late for that, unfortunately, for the time it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've already talked about yeah. it. Uh, also, my MacBook just crashed. What's going on? <laughs> also, uh, if you want to see some more of Andy's stuff, you should check out other places on YouTube. Yeah, otherplaces.co.uk. Mm. Did you? I just watched the Witness one. It was really good. Mm, thanks. Yeah, that was that. That was a very easy game to make look good. <laughs> very handsome game. It's a very weird video though, because um, because of the way the Witness is, like barely anything moves in it. So like yeah. the sun doesn't move across the sky like it does in some of your other videos. No, it doesn't. And it, a lot of the foliage, if you have to look really closely to see it moving, it's very, very still. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure someone said to me at one point it, that the sun can't move in The Witness because it's needed to solve certain puzzles. Yeah. So it always has to be in the same place. Oh, sorry. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots of little cute little um, shadow-based optical illusions as well that would be ruined if it moved. So yeah, static. It's probably purgatory. I mean... Oh, I think it's a metaphor for Jonathan Blow's state of mind. <laughs> I think he's Static. a control freak. <laughs> he's just really annoyed at iPads. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, everyone, everyone should totally go read my interview with him. It was very interesting. Yes, um, I, I'll put it in the show notes. I, I think we might have done that on a previous one as well. That's fine. You can do it again. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. All right. Anyway, uh, we should wrap up now rather than waffling on. So uh, that's about it. Um, Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Say bye, Andy. (laughs) Bye.